Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day. So glad that you are here with us today. We are continuing our study through 1 Peter. We are a couple weeks in and we're at chapter 1, verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 1, verse 13. And what has Peter been doing for us? Well, he's been just crazy focused on how gracious God has been to save us. If you're in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ as your Savior, Peter is intently focused on what God has done to bring you to that point. And he's just focusing on the incredible glory of his grace, that God is gracious. And, and I love the, the mental image of an adoption process of a child in destitute poverty and in a terrible situation. And the father comes in and looks you right in your eyes and says, I love you. You are mine. And I'm going to adopt you and bring you into my family. And all that's mine is yours. And, and that's what God has done for us in, in adopting us into his family. We put our faith in Christ. We become the children of God. And those who are children become brothers and sisters. And so as we live the way he described us as elect exiles, he wants us to know that you are my family. You are my people living in a culture where you're going to feel out of place and there's going to be difficulties and you're going to definitely suffer. You should feel different with a different set of values, a different set of priorities. You're going to have a lot of things that make you feel like you just don't quite fit in this culture. He says, but I want you to know that you are a member of God's glorious family and you have a glorious inheritance an inheritance that I can't even begin to describe it's not going to fade like any earthly inheritance it, it, it's going to be beyond all imagination and Peter's been telling us all this grace upon grace and today in verse 13 he says therefore and so he's connecting everything that he's going to say today to all that he's been saying about God's grace, which is what we see is typical. When you see the first three sermons or messages in Peter have been all about God and his sovereignty and his grace, you shouldn't be surprised. Therefore, you are responsible. Both are true. God's grace never eliminates our responsibility or our requirement for obedience. In fact, God's grace animates and activates our obedience. The two go hand in hand. And so today he's going to say, you have experienced incredible grace if you're in Christ. Therefore, live this way. You should be radically different. Your life, your choices, your actions, your morals, your ethics, everything about you should be drastically impacted by the gospel of the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Peter wants this grace to crack open our hard hearts like a jackhammer on concrete, where it exposes the, the softness of our heart to say, this should be a bigger deal in the way I live. I should be motivated. I should be compelled by this grace to live differently. And in these verses, 
that we're looking at, he, he's going to have three commands surrounded by lots of prepositional phrases. But in the heart of each one of those paragraphs, we're going to see three commands. We see the first one, he's going to say, you have experienced this grace, therefore set your hope fully on the grace that is coming when Jesus comes back. You have experienced grace, therefore hope. And then he's going to say, you've experienced grace, therefore be holy. It should change the way you live. Be holy. And finally, we're going to see him say, you've experienced this grace, therefore be humble. And so that's what we're going to look at today. That as a people, and these are all collective pronouns, to the people of God, you who have experienced the grace of God through faith in Christ... You should be a hopeful people, a holy people, and a humble people. So let's ask God to to make that a reality in our lives as we study his word this morning. Lord, we need your spirit to produce this fruit in us. We need you to take the grace that we've been reading about and, and drive it deep in our hearts that it would produce within us, help us strive for to be a hopeful people, to be a holy people, and to be a humble people, as Peter says and instructs us and commands us this morning. We ask that you do that this morning as we look at your word, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first of all, Peter's going to say, command us, be hopeful. Look at verse 13, he says, therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, hope. In the Greek, it's literally just imperative command, hope. In English, we have to make that make sense. So we say, set your hope fully on the grace that will be, future grace, that will be brought to you at the apocalypse or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's only one command here in all of that. It is, you have experienced radical grace, therefore command hope. Hope. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the temptation everywhere you look to, to despair, he doesn't suggest it, he doesn't invite, he commands an active command, hope. Everything else are participle phrases explaining how to have this hope. So we as a people should be a hopeful people. He is saying when he says he commands us to hope, he's saying hope fully, hope completely, hope perfectly, actively in what? In the grace, the future grace to be brought to you at the second coming of Christ. Peter's going to talk a lot about the second coming of Christ in the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He has an eye to the future, the, the, the idea of salvation. I think a lot of times we think of salvation as this, like a credit card transaction where one time I asked Jesus in my heart and I, and I got saved. And that's done. Well, that certainly is true. There's a moment of salvation upon faith in Christ. You are declared righteous. You're declared holy. You're forgiven of your sin based on the blood of Jesus Christ. And you must make that decision at a point in time to to repent and trust in Christ and his blood and nothing else. 
But this idea of salvation is a much broader understanding. It includes that moment, but it also, you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. And Peter has a lot to talk about that day of the future salvation where Jesus comes back bodily, physically returns as a conquering king. The scripture says he's sitting on the edge of his seat at the right hand of God the Father saying, let's go. Is it time? And when it's time, he's coming and he will come as an all-powerful conquering king to finish what he started, to establish on this earth a new heavens and a new earth where he will reign and rule with his people having eliminated all his enemies. And it will be glorious. And all that concept of Christ and life being as it was meant to be, loving relationships being the perfect extreme example of, of anything you've ever tasted, absence of sin, absence of sorrow, absence of sickness, it will be glorious. He says, that is what I want to be the bedrock foundation of your hope in this life. In fact, he says, I command it. Make it your hope. Don't make anything else your hope. So what exactly is this hope? Well, emotionally, it's the opposite of despair. It's not hope like, I hope I get this for Christmas. It's not a wish. It's a confident assurance. It's it's equivalent to Paul, the way Paul uses faith. Faith is the conviction of the unseen. It's confidence in what God has revealed, the unseen realities that, that we can't see or touch or smell with the senses. He says, God has graciously revealed these to us, and faith is being certain of those things. That's the way Peter uses hope. It's the certainty, it's the confidence of the, of the grace that God is going to bring. He says, I want that certainty to be the foundation of your life so that it produces within you the opposite of despair called hope. He's commanding us as a people that you should be known in the community, not as a people running around with your head on fire because the wrong person is in office. That you should be a people who are known as there is a confident, steadfast hope and assurance about these people. And that comes from you having determined and set your confidence in what you know to be true. That the God who adopted you is coming again and he's bringing a glorious inheritance. And that, that knowledge is the fountain of hope in your life. I don't, I don't think that way. Am I the only one? Too often, what gets me through a bad week. Well, for me, being honest, the most often what I get through a tough time is I spin off into great ideas that I'm going to do. I'm like, oh yeah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start this. I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. And everybody around me is going, oh no. Hold on. Hold on, brother. Let's think through these things. I'm like, don't make me think. I don't want to think. 
A lot of us, if I can just get to Sunday night when LSU plays, right? Brother, that ain't a steadfast hope. Just ask us Bulldog fans because we were looking forward to Thursday. And we lost miserably, right? But we do that. We set our heart on things to get through the difficulties. But the thing that Peter is saying is, you're setting them on the wrong things. Those things will not satisfy. They will not get you through the worst of times. The only hope that will not disappoint is your Savior coming back and knowing all the glorious grace that he is bringing you. Set your hope on that. And that'll get you through the most difficult of days. That'll get you through a a bad diagnosis from the doctor. That'll get you through the persecution at school because you aren't doing what you know that you shouldn't be doing. That'll get you through a fractured relationship. That'll get you through the phone call that says you've lost your job. That is the only thing that will get you through the worst of days. Set your hope, not on these lesser hopes, but on the one most certain hope, And most glorious hope that Jesus is coming back and it's going to be incredible. Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. We do not lose hope though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction. This temporary suffering is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, that future grace for the things that are seen, they're temporary, they're transit, they're passing away. But the things, the grace that God is going to bring, those unseen things are eternal. And Peter is saying, guys, I just told you about this inheritance. And you looked at me and said, okay, thanks. It should change your life is what Peter is saying. Now let's say your adopted father who's brought you into this incredible family and you went, thanks. Calls you and says, okay, I think you're old enough now that I can tell you the full blessings of being adopted into our family. I think it's not going to ruin you. But when you turn 65, there is $50 million in an irrevocable trust that you're going to inherit at age 65. Hope! I got hope! I'm going to be fine. It would change your life. (laughs) The inheritance that you have in Christ makes $50 million look like nothing. And we go, thanks. Peter is saying, this should change your life. If you came to me after finding out that inheritance was yours, and you're like, man, pastor, pray for me. I'm going through a little financial struggle, and I'm 45, and I got to wait till I'm 65. I say, really, get out of my office. You're going to be fine. Just get through it. It would change perspective. What are you doing for your job? Well, I don't need to do it for the money anymore. It'd purify your motives. 
Well, what am I doing? What is my life for? What is the point of all of this? Yeah, that's what should be happening in our hearts as we realize the future grace that is ours. It is certain. It is being protected by God Almighty. And he is going to make sure you get that inheritance. It should make us the most hopeful people on the planet. Is that what's the foundation of your heart? Is that what's helping you fight despair? Is that what's helping you through the suffering and the difficulties of this life that are certain in Christ? Well, you say, I don't know, not so much. All right, well, how do we do this? Peter tells us with the prepositional phrases. He has two prepositional phrases. He says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, hope in Jesus. So preparing your mind for actions, that literally could be translated, gird up the loins of your mind. To gird up the loins was to pull up the long parts of the, of the robe, tuck them in the pants before you started running so that you don't get tripped up. It's preparing, it's, it's tucking away the things that are going to get in the way. He's saying, in order to hope in Christ, you've got to tuck everything in and make sure that you are able to focus on it being sober-minded. Being sober-minded certainly includes not being drunk on wine, not being stoned, not being addicted to things that are controlling your mind. He says in other parts of scriptures, do not be drunk on wine, do not be controlled by these things, but be controlled by the Spirit of God. So the idea is you want your mind, your senses, your life, your decision controlled by the Lord, by his word, by his instructions. This is what should be driving your life you shouldn't be numbing your senses with drink or with drug or with entertainment or with comfort or distraction or looking forward to things you should not be intentionally trying to avoid thinking about things instead you should think deeply on things deeply on the future grace of God that is the only thing that will get you through this life Everything else is just a terrible substitute. Hope. It's a battle of the mind. The average person spends 2.8 hours a day on television. And most of that is probably inflammatory political talking heads intentionally designed to stir up your emotions. They don't sell hope. That time does not count social media. What if we just spent a little bit of that time thinking about that future grace that if I sat us down right now and said, tell me what future grace is, you would look at me like I would look at you and go, I'm not really sure. And yet, Peter says, that is the only hope. And not suggesting it, commanding it, make it your hope. 
So we got to think deeply on the grace of God and what he says is coming. Actively, it's an active verb, active commanding verb. We are being commanded to actively prepare your mind through prayer and the word and not let anything else distract. Nothing else should numb you or or distract you from Jesus is your living hope. Paul says in Romans 15, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace and believing by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a fleshly thing, it's a supernatural, prayerful, studying the word of God, thinking deeply on the grace of God, what his future promises of grace are, thinking about those things, applying them piece by piece to your life. And that is the key to being a hopeful person in the midst of chaos. And that's what Peter commands us to do. Be hopeful. In verse 14, he also says, be holy. Be holy. Like obedient children, he says in verse 14. As obedient children, be holy. How? Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who calls you, God the Father, is holy, you also command, active, imperative, be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, the word of God says, you shall be holy. Why? Because I'm holy, God says. Wow, let's tear that up for a minute. So the command, be holy, is an active command. And it's explained with, again, with these phrases of how. As we eagerly await that future day, When Christ returns and actually finalizes the process of making us holy, in the meantime, during this life, he says, strive to become who I've already declared you to be and have promised to finish. Be who I've called you to be, and I will finish the process. So the holiness is a fact in this logic. It's not like, hey, I hope it works out. He's saying, by fact of who I've saved you to be, who I've adopted you into this family, you're going to start acting like this. The imperatives are driven by the indicatives. The commands indicate the reality. You have been made holy, therefore you will live holy. Something's wrong if you say, I'm a dog. Got your attention now. And you don't walk on all fours. You don't sniff. You don't eat out of a dog bowl. But you think you're a dog? We're going to all go, something's not right with them. That's the way it is with this. You've been adopted into the family of a holy God, He has declared you holy. He says you will be holy. 
You are a member of the holy priesthood, the holy nation. He says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I've made you into a people for his own possession that you may proclaim. The whole point of you being in the family is that your life and your words would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous holy light. There's something wrong with you and me if we say all of that and we don't strive for holiness. We just might not be in Christ if that's the case. The very fact of our salvation dictates that we will no longer live in darkness. We will find there's new desires, new decisions, new ethics, new priorities, new way we spend our money, new hopes and dreams, new values you will be different if you are in Christ. Because he's pulled you out of darkness and into the light. You're no longer ignorant. You're no longer ignorant. You've been let in on the secret. There's a glorious inheritance awaiting you. And it will change how you live. If it's truly your inheritance. So how do we grow in this holiness He says a lot about conduct here. This is not just a spiritual holiness that doesn't show up in actions. There is a lot of emphasis here on conduct. He says, as obedient children. Think about a father talking to his child or a mother talking to their child. Says, I want you to go and do this, that, and the other. They come back and say, well, I've been obedient. Well, no, you didn't do what I said. Well, in my mind I was. You'd be like, oh, no, that doesn't work. It affects the conduct as an obedient child, be holy. And then skip down, he says he called you to be holy in all of your what? Conduct. So obedience, conduct, how you live will be different if you are in Christ. He's let you in on You're no longer ignorant. He said, here's my word. Here's how I expect you to live. Here's all that I want for your life. If you are truly my children, you will live differently. The whole word holy is different, set apart. You will begin more and more to be different from the culture, i.e. more suffering of discomfort. And then the main idea here is interesting how to be holy, it's, a, it's set in the negative of not being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's interesting to me. He doesn't say, be holy, go to church. I mean, you should, and we'll see why. But the way he wants us to think about this is, is you've got to actively work so that you don't conform to the former passions before Christ. They don't just go away. They will when he comes back. But in the meantime, the main act of believers is fighting the former passions of the flesh, the things that you used to do before you were let in on understanding. 
When you were ignorant of Christ and his word, you lived that way. You gave in to those passions. You let those things motivate you and drive you. He says, no longer. You've got to constantly be working against those, guarding against those things. You've got to constantly be pulling the weeds out of the garden. You've got to stay on top of it or it'll just grow up with weeds. Community group started back up. And my wife says, texts me, our front yard is embarrassing. And I texted back, so fix it. Now, y'all know better than that. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm on my knees and I'm on my elbows and I got dirt from my forehead to my toes because I had let the weed. She normally does it, so I'll give her credit for that. But she needed me to jump in and I was like, oh, my word. I hadn't stayed on top of it. We hadn't stayed on top of it. So I'm digging deep, getting those roots of nuts edge. Because if you just pop them, they multiply and it's twice as bad. If you don't stay on the weeds of the passions of the flesh that grow up in your life, you are going to have a day of reckoning coming. This weekend we went to the lake. It was a wonderful weekend. I pulled the cover off the boat. You know, it's been raining a lot, and under the darkness of that cover, the moisture has gone in there, and it was covered in mold. So I spent an hour spraying it, wiping it, rubbing it. If you don't keep the stuff in your life exposed to the daylight, it will just cover up with mold, even as a believer. You've got to stay on it. You've got to confess you got to be actively working on holiness. It doesn't just happen. You've got to actively not be conformed. It's like a stream pushing you the wrong direction. Not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You're no longer ignorant. You know better. You've been declared holy. You've got the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to work on it. And you will be holy. But you got to work. You've got to be animated by his grace to work on holiness. Paul describes it this way in Romans 12, 1. Do not be conformed, again that word, to the world, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's that mind battle again, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, do the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So you've got to actively be working on holiness. This requires you to put People and processes in your lives that will help you not be conformed to the worldly, ungodly passions of the flesh. You need someone showing up at the house so you say, I got to go take care of the weeds. You need people coming over to go to the lake with you to say, oh, I got a mold problem. And if not, it'll just be growing and getting nasty. Be holy. So the first one, what was it? Say it out loud with me. As a people of God, we are to be hopeful. Second one, as the people of God, we are to be holy. Third, we are to be humble. Look at verse 17. He says, if, if you call on him as father, think about who he is. He is father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds 
So you might want to conduct yourself with a little humility. Conduct yourselves with fear, not a fear that recoils from him, but a fear that's reverential and careful throughout the time of your exile, this life until he returns. Again, again, the command is verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear. I'm calling this humble. Participles elaborate, giving us the reason why. When he says conduct yourself with fear, he means a humble reverence, realizing that God is watching and how you live matters. Your little whispers with your friends, what you say about your coworker when no one's looking, what you think in your heart, what you did this weekend when you're around a different group of people, what you do at school with this friends, what you do at home with your parents, dual lifestyles, hypocrisy in the heart, in the actions. God isn't fooled. He's watching and he cares. You're supposed to be displaying the excellencies of him. And then look what he says in verse 18. And know this, you were ransomed from those futile ways. You were purchased from that. You were redeemed from that. He, with what, money? No, that fades. He says, with the blood of his son. With the precious blood of Christ. Like that of the lamb without blemish or spot. He gave you his best so that you would no longer live that way. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, revealed in this last time for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God raised up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God and nothing less. How we live matters. Only those who have been transformed by the grace of God will be saved on that day. All others will be separated from God eternally in a place called hell. That's humbling. If by fact that you will be holy, if you're in Christ, I think that's a great motivation. I'm going to strive for holiness. Because that reminds me, I'm going to be good when he comes back. Train your heart and mind to think deeply on the grace that God has shown you in Christ in the past is currently showing you and will show you when he returns. Father God, would you make us a hopeful people? Would you make us a holy people? And Lord, would you make us a humble people? Lord, this is only possible by your grace working in and through our lives. I pray that anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus as Savior have not experienced the unfathomable grace of God through faith in Christ that today, right now, you would put your faith in Christ. At the end of the service, you'd 
give me the great privilege of chatting with you about that, walking with you. Lord, I pray that we as a people will be lives that display your excellence. We ask that you do these things in Christ's